Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Read Like a Writer, the podcast from Faber and Faber, Serpent's Tale, Profile Books and Canongate. I'm Anna Fielding, and in the studio today with me are E. Foley and B. Coates, who are also known more informally as Liz and Beth. Um, they are the joint authors of What Would Buddha Could Do? Life Lessons from History's Most Remarkable Women. Both hold senior positions in publishing, Beth as editorial director at Vintage Paperbacks, and Liz as the publishing director of Harville Secker. But they've also written several books together, the popular Homework for Grown-Ups series and Shakespeare for Grown-Ups. What Would Boudicca Do, their latest book, looks at what we can learn from women in history and apply to our own lives. They cover several different tales, including mathematician Ada Lovelace, civil rights activist Rosa Parks, suffragette Sophia Duleep Singh and writer Dorothy Parker. Women striving to be independent, all of them, and uh, we'll be talking more about independent bookshops later. So it's all about people living on their own terms, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, the books have started life... um, it was it was born out of this thing that we saw a lot at the um, immediately after the Donald Trump um, election, which was the women walking around with these signs saying "nasty women," the and we were very yeah we were very sort of inspired by that. And then we kind of thought about actually, you know, we'd been bumping along in this happy place of like feminism's all great, and then there was this really stark moment. And then what could we learn from our kind of sisters from the past? I suppose that's where it first came from, wasn't it? Yeah, and people who lived in much more difficult and obviously unfeminist circumstances. Yeah, exactly. But it felt like they had sort of like really sort of good life lessons that, that we could draw on. And actually, you know, in lots of ways, they, there were sort of issues that they were facing, which still, which are still around today. Yeah, so we've got Elizabeth I on public speaking, we've mm. got Isabella Beaton on imposter syndrome, <laughs> Exactly. Dorothy Parker on having a jerk for a boyfriend. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Gosh, and she did have a few jerks yeah. for she really boyfriends, did. didn't she? she? Did, but she wrote about it beautifully. <laughs> That's <was> her legacy. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like the 1920s equivalent of doing it for the Instagram. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We, it was one that we kept thinking when we were writing her, imagine what she would have been like on Twitter. She would have been just so amazing, wouldn't she, with those sort of like, yeah... Pithy, Small, pithy, pithy one-liners. She would have been the queen of Twitter. And Emily Dickinson we thought would have been amazing on Instagram yeah. because she was not only a poet, also really good at gardening, so <laughs> lots of lovely flowers, uh-huh. and a baker. Yeah. So essentially she was made for Instagram, but sadly... We, <laughs> we don't get to see that. <laughs> Emily Davidson, Instagram crack. Um, <laughs> um, you've mentioned a couple of people, but who's your favourite woman in the book? Whose story did you really like mm. uncovering? I think mine was Isabella Beaton, actually, weirdly. So she's on imposter syndrome. And that's kind this of... Is, uh, she, uh, better known as Mrs. Beaton. Yeah, exactly. Um, and she 
I suppose for, partly it's the subject because I suffer quite badly from imposter syndrome, um, but also just this fact that she was this, you know, we have this image of her as this kind of, you know, matriarchal rustling around in her crinolines and shouting at the servants. But actually she was, she was really young. She had this incredible career as like an editor and a translator and she was winging it most of the time. You know, she, she basically had heard that um, the best recipes were already out there and there was no point making them up. So she stole lots of them from other places and put them together. She made mistakes in them and then had to write corrections for them. <laughs> she forgot and the flour, and, yeah, didn't she? Exactly, yeah, exactly. She forgot the flour in one of her cake recipes. But she still held up as this amazing kind of brand of the domestic goddess. And yeah, that just really spoke to me, that one in particular. And, you know, and, and also actually she was quite, her end was very sort of sad. She died in just after childbirth, after her fourth child or her fifth child. She was and she young. was young. She was like 28 or something when she died, mm-hmm. which is not, it's just very con- um, counterintuitive to the image that we have of her. I'm so, really yeah. surprised to learn she was 28. Yeah, um, yeah. So you think of her as a matron, don't you? Yeah, but, yeah. very much. I think it's the misses and there's something yeah. about the sort of the shape of the bee and yeah. the, it sort of yeah. sounds like a sort of booby bustling yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Absolutely. Yeah. What was yours, Liz? Uh, well, I have a massive crush on Hedy Lamarr. <laughs> She's so amazingly beautiful and her centre parting is like nothing else. But also, obviously, she was an inventor and she did Mm. this amazing um, work uh, with a composer that she worked with during the war for the war effort, but it was never used. And then it's turned out that the technology that she invented is now significant in Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and things that we need and use today. Mm. So she was somebody that I was really impressed by. She had a great quote about how anybody could look glamorous. You just have to stand still and look stupid. <laughs> and, uh, and she was anything but. So, yeah. yeah, she's great. And I also really love Mary Seacole because, again, she's sort of the opposite in a way. She was impressive because she was an older woman and a mixed race woman. And she completely self-starter, took herself off to a war zone, set up a kind of hotel, looked after people and you know, always wore brightly coloured clothes and was just upbeat and just completely had no sense of boundaries for somebody in her position at that time. So she was very inspiring. Yes, she went through two cholera epidemics and she built that place on the edge of the Crimean War out of scraps on the battlefield, I read somewhere as well. It was uh, just pulling out bits of... Because building materials are in such sort of supply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was such Amazing. a like, can-do person. So she's, and you know, she was in her 50s, I think. So it was just, yeah, she's wonderful. And she liked to drink, didn't she? She did. <laughs> Florence Nightingale flame, famously rather snippily said about her that there was much, I think, much good cheer, but much drunkenness <laughs> in Mrs. Seacole's company, <laughs> which is a brilliant, it gives me a lovely impression of Florence Nightingale as mm. well. <laughs> I also start to think, without wanting to besmirch Florence, who would you rather hang out with of an evening? But mm, absolutely. <laughs> um, so the, the the women are all told in sort of like uh, little vignettes about each life. With each one of them is supposed to sort of apply something to modern life as well. How did you go about kind of condensing down someone's whole life to kind of bring out the salient point? Yeah. Well, we had an extraordinary master list, didn't we, of of the sort of topics that we wanted to cover. And, and then the, another and list that was the women that we were really interested in finding out more about. So essentially we did loads and loads of reading and research to find out which would which woman would match with which particular concern that we thought it would be important to address in the book. And we've got a list still called yeah. Spare Ladies, <laughs> yeah. which has like and spare, hundreds of spare, spare problems. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. What would Boudicca do too? Yeah, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> Which, you know, nine rhymes nicely. Yeah. It does. <laughs> um, there's a lot about feminist history that's being published at the moment. You know, I've written some myself and mm. many, many people are, are doing this. I think it's great that we're paying attention to sort of our sisters from the past. But given that you've also done so well with talking about homework for grown-ups, can it not feel sometimes slightly like homework to kind of know about the women who've gone before you? Well, what we really wanted to do with this one, actually, and the, and the way we did homework as well, is we wanted it to be enjoyable. We wanted it to be fun. It's, it's a little bit irreverent. We have things, subjects like George Eliot or not being hot, which is not really the way you should treat George Eliot. Literary <laughs> more on superstar. George Eliot. <laughs> more yeah. on George Eliot later. Yeah. Um, so we've definitely taken a light-hearted angle to it to make it not feel too worthy. Mm. But and we've, it, tr- and we've, we've tried to pick some women that you may never have heard of, and that sh- that shouldn't. Uh, that sh- I mean, that just being curious about those women shouldn't feel like homework to me. It shouldn't feel like a hard job. Um, those are people that we really wanted to bring to the fore as well. And it is just brilliant to see women being talked about so much and yeah. taking up so much space. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's brilliant being it's at wonderful. the centre of conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Boudicca, of course, was buried not far from where we were recording. Yeah. Have you uh, ever tried to find out where she is, given that you've named a book after her? <laughs> well, it's strange, isn't it? Because she's supposed to be between Platform 9 and 10 of King's Cross Station, which I think J.K. Rowling didn't know that when she made Platform 9 and a half, the Harry Potter station. But it's a kind of nice thing that it turned out that, that was, mm. that's where Boudicca's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. um, have you but- been there? Yeah, I have you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, but there's near our work, there's a big, there's the big statue of Boudicca. So mm. that's actually where we kind of fixate. That's our, our shrine to Yeah, her. that's our shrine. It's <laughs> the big, um, the big statue on Westminster Bridge. Yeah. And obviously you've written it together, which could test many friendships. <laughs> um, how have you found sort of creating something as co-authors? Oh, we really love working together, actually. We, 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 we've, it's really evolved over the years because the first book that we wrote, we literally, we were in our 20s and we would go into the office every weekend and sit side by side and literally type it out kind of together and that was brilliant but we've both since had three children each and our kind of partners wouldn't be that up for us just disappearing, disappearing yeah. every weekend so we now have a, we now we we sort of di- we divide the work out and we um each write it and then we very kind of we have a really really good editorial relationship yeah. with each other where because we're both editors yeah. we like editing and I love being edited by Beth yeah and, and I you know, similarly yeah. love being edited by you so it's, so it's turned into just a very it's a very joyous thing actually it doesn't feel but like it's hard a bit work random isn't it that it does work so well I mean we yeah. worked together before yeah. so I suppose we already knew in a professional capacity that mm. we could rub along nicely mm. working um but there is something yeah you know I couldn't with my best friend, I couldn't <laughs> no, write a book no, <laughs> because we would exactly. row all the time. Yeah, exactly. No, it's good. We find a really good way to do it. So, yeah, it feels like a, it feels like a nice thing to do. It doesn't feel like a chore at all. No, we st- when we started actually working together, we took on weird projects together. So we did. Mm. We learned Italian together yeah, for a we while, did. and then we did the moonwalk together, yeah. which was a Hideous. traumatic experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for a wonderful cause. And then we then we wrote a book together, and it sort of just feels like that's mm. a natural extension of these things that yeah. I otherwise would not have done were it not for Beth. <laughs> no, same. Yeah. I mean, firstly, I look forward to the literary festival where your advice to budding writers is to learn to moonwalk. <laughs> but also, I think with the subject of the book, it's such a lovely thing to have it as a testament to female yeah. friendship and to be created in yeah, that way as well. Absolutely. And they're, they're, like, there's one that Minna Fry and, um, so not Minna Fry, sorry, uh, Mina, Mina, Wiley. Mina Wiley, sorry, and Fanny Durack, who are these brilliant Australian um, swimmers who kind of broke all the, all the boundaries. They're like, they're on the art of female friendship, and we definitely drew on our own experience for yeah, that. Yeah, they're as the well. only dual entry, yeah, but they are exactly. an important subject. Yeah. 
They were Australia's first female Olympians, exactly. weren't they? Yeah, yes. Exactly. So, uh, moving on from your own book to a place where both of you have bought books and a place where I've also spent a lot of time, mm-hmm. your favourite independent bookshop, you've mm-hmm. chosen Foils on Charing Cross Road, mm-hmm. which is indisputably one of the classics, mm-hmm. I think. Um, can you both tell me what it is you find so magical about Foils? Mm. It was a tough one to choose, actually, because we both have really lovely small independent bookshops near where we live so the Hernhill Books is near me which is just a beautiful little jewel of a bookshop yeah and Peckham Review is near where I live and it's um, it's fantastic I went in there the other day actually to give Katya my book and she was kind of half undressed putting on her Trump protest t-shirt to go out and do the campaign and I just thought yes this is the perfect bookshop but actually foils for both of us what occupies a kind of Iconic place. place. Yeah, exactly. It was the first bookshop that when I moved to London in the late 90s, it was the first bookshop I went to and it was still a bit mad then. It was organised in a kind of crazy way. And so it's been interesting to see it develop into this incredibly kind of slick... It's a sort of cathedral to books, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's sort of amazingly beautiful and contemporary now, Mm. but it still has like charisma, I think, that Mm. bookshop in a way that, you know, is your ideal from an independent. I think Mm. you want something that has a sense of character that's completely the opposite of an online experience. Mm. So, and also because it just has everything. Yeah, the scale of it's amazing. Yeah, like I am at the moment a bit fixated on Japanese flower arranging (laughs) and I knew that the only place, the bookshop that I needed to go to to try and find some books that would just be there would be foils and and lo and behold they have several (laughs) books on a cabana and there it is they have everything you need i was yes i was going to ask you what you thought of foils 2.0 because it's slightly disorientating because it's just down the road it's Mm. only moved sort of one set Mm. of of office blocks along for the refits and so it's kind of like do i remember it like this or was it like that before yeah how do you find the refit I, I, love I, it, yeah, I love it as well. And I think the, the thing that they do brilliantly is they curate really well. Yeah. And that hasn't changed at all. No, and the like staff they were doing, picks yeah, are really, they're really amazing. amazing. Their events are really kind of inspired as well. Like I've yeah. been to a lot of them and they're, they're, they're just always really interesting. And but I do love that cafe as well. So I, yeah. I'm pro the refit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've always had a great cafe. Yeah. It's an absolute London institution. Mm. Do you have a favourite memory that's associated with it? Ooh. Oh, crikey, it's tricky because I sort of feel like what happens to me when I go there is I just go into a sort of reverie of getting lost and that is a really enjoyable experience when you come off Charing Cross Road, which is so busy, to be somewhere which smells of books, which is kind of cool and civilised and interesting. It's that, it's that's sort of lots of memories tied mm. up together, but... Yeah, that's the impression that it has left I have a nice me. work memory from there where we did... Do you remember we used to do those vintage days? At, um, yeah. And uh, I remember being sitting with Martin Amos in a green room once when I, and I, I was so kind of in awe of him and he was just the nicest man. Mm. And that was a really... That was just a lovely kind of like... When the, yeah, when you're sort of legendary like writers don't turn out to be yeah. what you think they might be. <laughs> he was great. He's such a... He's a, he's a dude. Yeah. So that was a nice memory. I really like the idea of this show becoming the place for wholesome literary gossip yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're going to talk about uh, your own choices of books now, some mm. of which you've picked individually and some of which you have chosen together, mm-hmm. which I also like. It continues the spirit of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, so for your classics, we do have two. We're mm-hmm. back to George Eliot, who I hope has recovered in her grave from being called not hot. <laughs> yeah. um, she didn't need to be hot. That's the thing with George. <laughs> I'm taking it you're the Middlemarch fan then. Yes, that's me. I mean, that's just, again, it's one of those sort of talisman books that I feel like I'm sort of pretty much due a reread. It feels like every few years I need to read it and every few years I read it in a different way. And I'm looking forward to my next read. (laughs) 
But it, I feel like that about Wuthering Heights as well. I remember reading that when I was about 12 and being like, what is all this hysterical nonsense? I do not understand this. And then reading it when I was about 19 and going, oh, God, this is speaking to me so deeply. <laughs> <laughs> so mm. I do love a classic. And um, Middlemarch, of course, is, you know, uncontested as one of the key, key classics. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Classics, so. It's interesting you say that about Wuthering Heights and the ages you read it at because uh, Virginia Woolf described Middlemarch as one of the few English novels for grown-ups. Mm. Um, also for grown-up people was her exact quote. Mm. Um, does that make sense to you as you reread it as you get older? Yeah, it does. And I think different things come out of it. She's so wise on relationships and on making bad decisions. And, you know, Dorothea and it grows up and recognises the bad decisions that she's made. Um, so, yeah, I think it is one of those books that you can keep. Re- I will probably keep reading until I'm dead. <laughs> um, so from making bad decisions on a micro personal domestic level to uh, your classic <laughs> choice which is about bad decisions on a macro scale yeah handmaid's tale we're talking yeah. about yeah um yeah this has been a really i mean i i read this again i I've, I've read this book several times now and i read it when i was at school i think it was on our our curriculum and i was completely blown away by it and sort of shocked and it it was like racy and there was sex in it and i couldn't kind of believe that i was being taught this at school um and then i read it recently again actually with um there's this beautiful new edition with um sort of hardback edition with um artist called Noma Bar who's done the cover for it and I, and I was completely hooked by the TV, of course, as well. And I just thought I'm, I need to look at the book again. I've never really understood why people buy TV tie-ins, but I kind of get it now because I was just really inspired by it. Mm. thought I need to go back to that. And it's just amazing. I mean, it reads like a thriller. It's a complete page turner. Um, it's still like really provocative, obviously really modern. What I love about it is that um, Offred's like a, she's a really difficult woman. She's not a kind of fragile heroine at all she's kind of spiky and vicious when she wants to be and looks after herself and that I don't know that that feels that feels good to have her at the center of a, of a novel she's a very realistic woman in yeah, that situation isn't absolutely she? absolutely um yes it's interesting you say that about the handmaid's tale because I see it as you know a bad adaptation for film or television can kill a book mm. off and 
being a set text is usually the kiss of death. And yeah. I also studied The Handmaid's Tale at school. Yeah. I think so many people of around our age did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to have survived so many adaptations and being a yeah. set text is incredible and an absolute testament to the book. Yeah, yeah. Have you read it again recently? Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah, and it is. It's just, it's amazing, isn't it? And that the ending, which we shouldn't give away, but all of that you just left with. It's, yeah, it's a brilliant book. Uh, so moving on uh, to something completely different, um, your cookbook that you've chosen <laughs> is from Anna Jones. It's the new one she has coming out, which is called The Modern Cook's Year. Um, Anna Jones started publishing cookery books in around 2014 with A Modern Way to Eat. Mm. Um, I think they generally did feel quite modern and revolutionary in a way that was nothing to do with clean eating or blogging. It was very much geared in a sort of sensible but very new feeling vegetarian cooking mm. was this a joint pick or we do yeah. both have it i'm a bit evangelical you about bought it i did buy it because i think she is a genius yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's amazing um, i like uh, like many many people i'm more vegetarian now than i was before but um and my husband was always quite resistant to this and the only person who can trick him into being vegetarian <laughs> is anna jones <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's because she's so amazing with texture she's so amazing with flavors but literally i could cook from her books and i have all of them you know, for the rest of my days quite happily, I think, because she's really inventive and they're so delicious, but they're also really satisfying in a way yeah. that's quite hard with vegetarian yeah. food. And I'm I'm in exactly the same position as you. Well, you bought it for me, and then I and I'm a bit I'm a bit resistant to what I consider vegetarianism. But actually, they're so delicious, and my, my husband is also very very resistant. But that chili, we made the chili. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. amazing. There's a fennel and butter bean thing in one of yeah. them that I eat pretty much every week. Do you? And there's a dal that's amazing yeah. as well. Yeah, and she, but also she she writes about it with sort of joy, and she's not trying to kind of. I don't know. She, as you say, she's not pushing the, a clean eating agenda at all. It just feels like this is really delicious. You're going to get yeah. a really good meal out of this. And that, that feels like a good way to approach it as well. I think Joy is a lovely way to speak mm. about her food writing. Mm. Um, talking about, uh, you were talking about children's books now, moving <laughs> on to that. Um, now, you did say that you both wanted to pick the Ramona series. Yeah, mm. we did. We loved but those they, books. We couldn't find them. So instead, <laughs> I admire yeah. you for sticking so solidly to the rules. I think yes. that's, that's to yeah. be commended. But I just wanted to say one thing. I, I reread it when I went up to um, Scotland recently because my mum kept, kept all my um, books and I was rereading it. And they're so funny. Like the, the one that I was reading was about the dad being made redundant and he's sitting there getting depressed, smoking in his chair. And you just think, my God, that you would never put that in a children's book now, would you? Anyway, sorry. You should stock it again, foils. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's really good. Um, um, but what you did too is an absolute, absolute classic um, of Rapunzel. Mm, well, so again, I think both of us um, have dug out these old Ladybird books. Do you remember the kind of ones with it was Vera Southgate was the writer and I can't remember who the other illustrators, but they have a very particular look and they're not actually, sorry, Vera, very brilliantly written. And now when I read them to my, my I have three girls, I have to put a kind of feminist commentary on them because... Because they're kind of dodgy. I mean, yeah, we do that with the famous five as well. I have to keep stopping the audiobook on holiday to go. George (laughs) is completely allowed (laughs) to not want to have long hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that stuff. And and like Rapunzel again, it's kind of you know she's been slightly stalked by the prince, and it's and he's the one that comes up with the escape plan. So I I always slightly change it so that she decides to make the ladder. Although I've never understood why she doesn't just chop her hair off and come down anyway. Anyway, yeah. that's not. But the they are—they're kind of again—they're gorgeous. Those yeah, they're beautiful, and the illustrations are amazing, yeah. and they feel sort of full of nostalgia. And I really remember being read to them as a child as well. And don't but, your kids love them as yeah, well? Because mine completely love them yeah. in a way where you know we read the Tom Thumb quite often, and it's quite boring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
they're just transfixed by the pictures. Yeah, completely, yeah. Do you think there's something eternal about fairy tales in general, whatever edition they're in? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I think that's right. I mean, although I have to, like, when I look at some of the um, more recent editions where the illustrations aren't as good, I think you're right. I think it's the illustrations are so much part of the of those particular editions. And they're quite frightening yes, in a way are. that lots of the modern ones aren't. Like, I mean, Jack and the Beanstalk is kind of terrifying, those illustrations. And even... Um, uh, three Billy Goats Gruff, like the troll in that is really frightening. Yeah. I find him quite frightening. And so there's something about that, those particular editions, which... But that's sort of more true to the whole fairy tale history, mm. isn't it? Which is that it's supposed really to be confronting dark. fears yeah. and dealing with anxieties yeah. that constantly come up about stepmothers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they function quite well as warning systems. I think it's quite nice to let an appropriate amount of fear yeah. in. Yeah, I think that's right. So the non-fiction choice, which is also one that both of you have picked, is Women and Power by Mary Beard. Can you uh, tell me uh, why you both love that? Uh, well, first of all, it's amazingly beautiful package they've mm. done for that um, and really cleverly done to do mm. a short piece like that, which I think was originally a lecture. And she it's is a series of two pieces she wrote for the LRB, I think. Uh, OK, yeah. yeah. So um, it's it feels like a really contemporary important subject dealt with looking at classical history, mm. which is something that I'm particularly interested in. Mm. But the the theme of women being silenced, I think, is one that is just very, you know, it's very current. And mm. she does it, obviously, because she's an amazing communicator, does it in a particularly mm. brilliant way. Mm. And there's that, that way. And she goes in through the stories, right? So there's that brilliant start bit at the start where she's talking about the beginning of the Odyssey and um, Penelope being kind of silenced. But that made me think about, that's a sort of Western power thing, isn't it? And that made me think about Enheduanna, who's our mm. Eastern power of creativity in our book, who's the Sumerian kind of princess, who I think is down as the very first writer yeah. ever, ever recorded, man or woman, which gives me cheer. But no, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant book about, yeah, about the silencing of women. And you had, the, you had all those interesting things that you were saying about the about Margaret Thatcher's pitch of voice. Oh, the and thing things. about being yeah. shrill. I yeah. love the way she talks about that, about how women are supposed to lower their voices because there's so much discussion around how it's just annoying to listen to women yeah. talk. They're yeah. just really annoying to listen yeah. to because they're so shrill. There was that thing during the World Cup. Did you hear there was this commentator who basically said he hates listening to um, women's football because he can't deal with the, the cheering of the crowds because it's a pitch higher. And I was just like, <laughs> my God, oh my God. That's such a... And that, he felt, felt he could say that yeah. in the 21st century, two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. It's very frightening. I was just about to say, yeah. it is quite frightening, isn't yeah. it? I think, you know, you can read a book like yours or a book like Professor Beard's and mm. think, yes, okay, we're getting somewhere. There are these women speaking. Mm. We're on the same team. Here mm. are my girls. Yeah. yeah. And then you hear a comment like that, yeah. and it just takes you back so far. Yeah. And you realise how far we have to go. Yeah. Yeah. So good on you for being part of the solution. Yeah. <laughs> um, talking about another woman who's disclosing about her life, uh, looking at uh, Dolly Alderton's Everything I Need to Know About Love as another choice as well. Mm, I haven't read this yet. This is one of the ones that I really want to read. Um, again, it's that. It's just. It's a great pack. I love that cover. I love the fact that it's yeah. not kind of. I don't know. There's some, it's just very, it's very bold. Um, Could you describe the cover a bit? For so people it's, who are it's just graphic. It's just text, and you feel like it, the you know the designers could have been pushed in a way to put sort of high heeled shoes on it or something because it's it's a really sort it's of about being, being a young about woman, being a young it? woman yeah. exactly. But they've just, they've done it. It's red, I think. It's not yeah. pink. It's all of those, and it's just um, script uh, scrubbed out words. 
Um, so it's just, it's very, I think it's a really bold, simple design that you wouldn't necessarily think is yeah. a book about being a young woman. Um, and, I, and I just, I'm, what I'm really enjoying sort of watching, I've, so it's been a joy again to watch the sort of success about it, but what it feels like is it's a lot of women coming together to recommend it to each other, um, to kind of revel in some of the humiliations and the sort of, fun, mm. you know, the, the funny things that happen to people rather than it being a sort of sob, this is what yeah. happened to my heartbreak and my tales of romance. There's and again, it's about female of, friendship a lot, isn't it, from what I've read? It is, yeah. yeah. And it's a, it feels like there's a defiance to it. So, I'm, yeah, that's one of the books I'm really looking forward to reading on the non-fiction right. side. The love in Dolly's case actually does turn out to be more about the love for her friends. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It's a, a very interesting piece of autobiography. Yeah. Um, Moving on to Olivia Lang, who's probably, as your fiction book you'd not like to read, um, mm. she's probably better known for her non-fiction, most mm. recently The Lonely City. Mm. Um, but what is it about Crudo, which is her first fiction, that makes you really want to read it? I've just heard so many people talking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's again, it's... She is someone who's very impressive, and it's her first novel. She's interesting, isn't it? And yeah. yeah, and it was in top ten, wasn't it? Yeah, for a first got, novel, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and um, literary, and yeah. you know, and auto fiction. That's the yeah. other thing. It's that sort of. I mean, I love a bit of auto fiction, but I sometimes think it takes itself very seriously. And this sounds as if it's a really sort of funny take on that. Um, with Kathy Acker at the centre, who's yeah. just a brilliant icon as well. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, what's not, not what's, what's not, not to like? Think, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And also The Silent Companions. Oh, yes. Now, I'm really looking forward to this because um, this is a kind of gothic, spooky house story, which I really like, crime mm. story. And it sounds, from the reviews I've read and things, it sounds amazing. It's been picked for the Zoe Ball Book Club as well, I think. And again, beautifully packaged by the publisher. Um, but it just sounds like something that's going to really kind of take me away from when I'm on holiday and I'm going to be able to properly escape into a very spooky house and a very spooky, Mm. creepy Mm. scenario. There's been a bit of a resurgence of the gothic recently as well, hasn't there? um, You know, with the continued popularity of Susan Hill, but also Sarah Mm. Perry doing so well. And, um, oh God, he wrote The Loney. Oh, Oh, yes. Um, Andrew Hurley. Thank you. Yes, yes. That's Um, a brilliant book, yeah. Yeah. And historical fiction generally is just having a bit of a moment, isn't it? And particularly, I think, historical fiction that looks at women's roles in history. Mm. I think it's part. It's partly that thing that we're in really tough times, and people just want a proper escapism when it comes yeah. to novels. Um, we published a book called *The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock* that's done really well. Mm. That um, is really fascinating on questions of women in the 18th century, mm. but is also escapist. Mm. Yeah, taking to a better time, <laughs> different time. And your final book uh, is a non-fiction that you always recommend to people. So, *Little Black Book*. Ah, oh, yes, I love this book. I do press this into people's hands. This is like a kind of new lean-in for me. It's a really practical little book, and Otago Wagbra is an amazing communicator. Um, it's just a book about kind of that takes working women seriously mm. and teaches you how to take yourself seriously, whether you're working for yourself. I mean, it's particularly organised around working for yourself. But also... Um, if you're, you know, working in a company, there's just so many useful things in there. Well, like strategies and... Yeah, and just, um, I just think it's really brilliant to have a resource like that that is, you know, and I think she obviously does a lot of work cheerleading for women's networking and for supporting working women. Mm. And, yeah, it's a creative look at that, I think. that, And, again, a beautiful package, very mm. cleverly done, small mm. format. So thank you both very much, and um, I hope it's been brilliant for all our listeners, male and female, what Would Buddha Could Do is out with Faber and Faber on September the 6th. Thank you very much. 
Read Like a Writer was brought to you by Faber and Faber, Serpent's Tale and Canongate and was presented by me, Anna Fielding. To get a full list of what this week's author recommended, visit acast.com forward slash read like a writer. And we'd love to hear what you have to say too. So do tweet us at read like a pod. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.